Amen. Thanks, worship team. Come on, let's give him a better round of applause than that, folks. Please be seated. Thanks, Dan. Well, nearly lost my glasses. That's a good start, isn't it? Today's Mother's Day. Who's had a happy Mother's Day? Yeah, we had uh, all sorts of things going on today with, uh, with my wife and my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law. And, you know, for some of us, Mother's Day is a, is, is a fantastic day. For some of us, it's a very difficult day. But I thought today on Mother's Day, and also as part of this, this month, as Peter mentioned earlier, is Mission Month. And so I thought it would be really appropriate for us to talk tonight about the first female preacher in the history of the Christian church. You know, she was an amazing woman. And, uh, and the very first message she preached led to revival. And um, so I just thought it would be a really good thing to, to, to look at maybe a little bit about the life of this woman uh, on Mother's Day. What do you think? Yeah. You want to hear about it? Okay, so let's, uh, let's open our Bibles. We're going to... Read a little bit here from John chapter 4. Because you may have heard of this woman, but you may not have realised that she was the first ever woman preacher in Christian church history. So we're going to start at the the start of John chapter 4, and we're going to read a pretty decent-sized story. So strap yourself in if you've got your Bible, grab hold of it, or else I'm sure uh, Jacob's got something up there on the side for us as well. Thanks, mate. So starting at verse 1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given to you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to the well to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband, What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, for now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. What an amazing story. We've spent the last few weeks in and around this chapter of John and, and looking at some particular narratives, discussions that Jesus had, and some particular things that happened in, in the life and the early ministry of Jesus. And, you know, this story is quite amazing. I'm sure many of you have heard this story possibly many times over the years. And, and we know that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't mix uh, so much so that the, no, no self-respecting Jew would ever interact in any way with a Samaritan. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to make that point. Uh, he, he used the example that was the most uh, offensive to the hearers, to the listeners, to make his point because such was the, the attitude of the Jews towards the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans were seen as a mixed race. They came originally from the Jewish descent, but back in 722 BC, um, Assyria took over the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom of Judah was still around. But when the northern kingdom was removed, the Assyrians replaced some of the people with people that they had conquered from other nations around, all around the, the region. And so this mixed group of people, some Jews, some from other nations, came together over many hundreds of years and they formed a, a similar but different religious system and a religious practice and so their, their practices ultimately they followed the old testament the first five books the books of moses but nothing after that they didn't accept all of jewish history and so 
when the Jews had all of their writings that talked about the, the temple that was in Jerusalem, this was not part of Samaritan beliefs. And so they had their own place of worship, which, which was Mount Gerizim, which incidentally was just near where Jesus and this woman ended up having a conversation. So the first thing that, that I'm drawn to in this story, and I, just, I want to make a few points, and, and maybe there are a few points that, that you haven't considered before in this story. Because remember, at the moment we're in Mission Month, and our focus is on mission, is on God's heart for the nations. And, and this story is an absolute classic in, in how we see Jesus' heart for people, Jesus' heart for the lost, and even the methods and the process by which Jesus actually came into someone's life and impacted someone's life, and, and in the end, the life of a whole town. And so there's, there's a number of amazing things that I think we can really take away from this story. The first one is this, the simple question, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? See, it says there in verse uh, three, uh, 4, now he had to go through Samaria. In actual fact, he didn't have to go through Samaria. To go between Galilee and Judea, any self-respecting Jew would have gone to the east of the Jordan, would have avoided Samaria and come back into either Galilee or Judea, depending which way they were going. So he actually didn't have to go through Samaria at all. There was a well-travelled path around Samaria. Now, it was a bit longer, but any self-respecting Jew would take that path. And yet it doesn't say he went through Samaria. It said he had to go through Samaria. So something in Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. It wasn't because that was the only way. Maybe it was the quickest way, sure, but it was the, the way that, that no other Jew would take. Or if they did, they would be ceremonial unclean and have to go through all sorts of rituals before they came into Judea or Galilee and, and went into the temple or the synagogue. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so when he gets to Samaria, now we, we see the humanity of Jesus in this story too because he gets tired. It's a decent walk from Judea to Samaria, uh, sorry, to Galilee. And on the way through, they stop. In the middle of the day, it says it was noon, so the hottest part of the day. And they stop at a well, and Jesus sits down. Now, at a typical well in, the, in, in first century uh, Israel and, and the region didn't actually have a bucket or anything that you would just lower down and get water. You would take your own bucket with you. So everybody would have their own... Uh, it was more like a leather-type satchel, but it, was, it would attach to the well, and you could lower it down, you could fill it with water, and you could take it. This is why when Jesus talked to the woman about giving her living water, she says, but you've got nothing to lower down and the well is deep. So Jesus didn't actually have a, uh, a, a bucket, let's call it, or, or a, a, some sort of a, you know, leather pouch to collect the water in. And even that fact is very interesting. Because everybody who travelled, they would have had one of those. So Jesus and the disciples had one of those. Everybody did because you couldn't go to a tap anywhere. You couldn't just go down to the local takeaway and get a bottle of water. Uh, you actually had to go well to well. And, and it's interesting, actually, a few years ago, I used to uh, drive for bush bus and I'd go in and out of communities all the time. And sometimes I'd have uh, one of my Aboriginal brothers or sisters sitting in the front of the, the bus and we, we'd just be chatting on the way. And, and in so many First Nations peoples, the way they see distance and, and, you know, from place to place is actually by water source, by rivers. I remember one time we were coming back from Armada, which is a community just off the road down past Mount Connor. And, and coming back, we got back onto the, onto the Lasseter Highway and I said to him, oh, mate, not far now. He said, yeah, just five rivers. 
And, and I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, five rivers. And he showed me all five rivers between there and Alice Springs. And, and I'd never thought of it before. But, you know, water sources were critical uh, to any sort of travel. And you look at any Aboriginal paintings and, and you'll see waterhole, lines, waterhole, lines, waterhole. That, that was how they travelled. And it was the same in first century Israel. You'd travel from well to well if there were wells along the way. So Jesus and the apostles actually would have had their own pouch, let's call it, or bucket. But the disciples had gone to town. Now, Jesus sat at the well. The disciples took the pouch with them when they were going to town. Why would they take the pouch? It doesn't make sense. The only thing that really makes sense is that Jesus told them to take the pouch with them because we know that God had given him divine revelation about this woman. We know that God had told him all about her life. I believe that God gave him divine revelation that this woman was coming to the well, that this was the encounter that was the reason he had to go through Samaria. And so what Jesus did was actually so countercultural from so much of the approach of, let's, let's call it, Western mission. See, in Western mission, we'll come to a place of need or a person in need and we'll meet that need. And we think that by meeting that need, therefore we can go and reveal Jesus to them and they'll be so grateful. But the, the, the whole encounter in so many cases causes humiliation to the one who is in need and we're coming there to meet that need as, as the person of power, usually from you know, the, 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 uh, the wealthy Western nation coming in there to the native village to, you know, to, to do something for the people. But that's not what Jesus did here. Jesus arranged a situation where he, he asked her for help. He was sitting at a well. He had no way of getting water. And so the approach, Jesus' first approach to the woman was, please, can you get me a drink? He humbled himself and he came to her as someone in need and asked her for help. And that's actually a very different posture than so much of the posture of, uh, I guess, what I've seen in my life as ministry or mission. You know, so often the posture is, let's go and meet a need. Let's go and fill a need. Let's go and do something for somebody. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just really interesting that that wasn't Jesus' posture. When the woman came, now, we, if, if you've heard the story before, you'll understand the implications of, of what's happening here. The woman comes in the middle of the day when no self-respecting woman would come and, and draw water because it's the hottest part of the day. Women would come usually in a group for safety, uh, either early in the morning or late in the afternoon, in the cooler part of the day. This woman comes on her own, very unusual, in the heat of the day, very unusual. She's clearly an outcast. Now, later on in the story, we discover that she's had five husbands and she's now with a guy who's not a husband. In our cultural context, we might see her as maybe a little bit of a floozy, you know, somebody who's gone from marriage to marriage to marriage. Understand, in first century Israel, a woman didn't just go from marriage to marriage to marriage. If, if a woman committed adultery, if a woman did something wrong, she got stoned. It was pretty simple. And, and it was, I'm not saying that's right, that was just the culture. This woman, in all likelihood, had been rejected and abused by husband after husband after husband after husband, and now the guy who was with her wouldn't even marry her. And yet she was also ostracised by the women in the town because of that status. So he was a woman who had been beaten down by probably everybody who she'd ever loved, by probably everybody in the whole town. She was the outcast. And so she comes down in the middle of the day to draw water on her own, completely countercultural, and Jesus is there. And so this woman, and interestingly too, 
I think we might have covered this last a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning. John contrasts a lot of stories. So John contrasts Jesus' meeting with Nicodemus in chapter 3, who was one of the Pharisees, and that happened at night. This happened in the middle of the day. All through John's writings, there's this contrast of light and darkness, day and night. What is, what is good is said to happen in the light or in the, in, in the day. And whenever something bad happens, John will make the comment, and it was night, or you know, it's, the setting is at night time. And it's just really interesting that this woman, whose society would say is at the very bottom of the tree, has this encounter with Jesus in the middle of the day, in the brightness of the light. And the religious leader, who you would say was at the very top of the societal pecking order, immediately beforehand in John's writing, had, had a discussion with Jesus at night. So this woman comes to Jesus, she would assume that he is a Jewish man who already judges, she, she's, I mean, two strikes. First strike, she's Samaritan. Second strike, she's female in that culture. And she's a female who is actually ostracised by her own people. She would expect that this Jewish man sitting there would not even make eye contact with her. She would just go, get her water, go back. And, and actually, culturally, when she walked up to the well... He was supposed to move away a certain number of metres just to keep the propriety, to let her go about her business, get her water and leave, and then he could come back and sit at the well. But he just cuts through all of that. So not only has he gone through Samaria, and, and how's this for a thought? You know, the, the apostles were sent into town, into a Samaritan town, to find food. Now, for a Jew, you don't not only eat, would you never eat Samaritan food, but you wouldn't even touch something that was in a Samaritan shop or in a Samaritan bowl or in a Samaritan cup. You, they had to, when, when they did have to, uh, were forced to do transactions with Samaritans, they would often have a bowl of water between them so they could pass the money through the bowl of water to clean it ceremonially before they touched something that the Samaritan had touched. And so the apostles are in there in a Samaritan town trying to find food that they could eat. So this whole encounter would have been really, really difficult for them. But Jesus just plows right through. And he speaks to the woman. And so this woman, who would see herself as right down here, and her town, her society would see her as right down there, and typically someone in Jesus' position, Jewish rabbi, so leader of other men, would be seen in this sort of position, and he asks her for help. Like just, just imagine the that, that's mind blowing. We we don't get that coming at it from our twenty first century Western perspective, but this whole picture is just so wrong. I was thinking about it during the week about what what would be something that that we could possibly grab hold of in our context that might be similar. And the only thing I thought was, imagine you're walking through Sydney or Melbourne inner city, and you see a street person coming up the street holding a bottle of water. You say, oh, can I have a swig of your water? Yeah, that's the sort of thing that we would recoil at the thought of that. Because, but this is what Jesus was doing. He was saying, can you get me water? I, I want to have a drink out of your water pouch. This, this is the type of context that Jesus has created here. So the woman was stunned and, and she started arguing back, but how can you ask me for water? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And, and so the conversation goes on. But the important thing is that Jesus hasn't positioned himself here. He knows, we find out a few verses later, what her past is. He knows what her situation is. He knows all that she is struggling with. He understands why she's there at that time doing that stuff. But he doesn't come out and start speaking into that, does he? He asks her for something. 
And then he uses the very thing that he asked her for, the, the way that he asked her for help, he uses to bring it around to what his real goal is there. And he talks about water. And so we have this narrative about water. And we see a few verses later what I think is one of the most mind-blowing verses in the whole Gospels. And that's verse 10. So, Jacob, if we can go to verse 10. So this is where she says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said this, if you knew the gift of God, that's the first thing, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, so if you, if you understood what God has for you, God's gift for you, if you understood who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. So just stop there for a moment. Here's an ostracised Samaritan woman living out of wedlock, been you know, through all sorts of mess in her life for whatever the cause, we're not really told. Someone who every self-respecting Jew would never have gone anywhere near, let alone looked at her, let alone talked to her, let alone asked her for help. And yet, without any demand for change, without any demand for transformation, without any demand for repentance, without any demand for anything, Jesus said, if you, had, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water and I would have given it to you. You know, sometimes in our evangelism, sometimes in our mission focus, sometimes in trying to reach the lost, I've heard many times, and Ben, you and I have talked about this before too, that some people want to focus more on hell. If people understood about hell, then we'd scare them into the kingdom. I don't ever see Jesus doing that. Jesus goes to a woman who every part of Scripture to that time, because bear in mind, the New Testament's not written yet. It's being lived as we speak. It would be written 20 to 50 years later. So under Old Testament law, under Scripture, which the Bible tells us was God-ordained and divinely breathed and God's word, this woman would not be accepted. This woman was a sinner. This woman did not deserve, according to, to the, the traditions, the teachings, and even so many parts of Scripture, what God, or Jesus in this case, is reaching out and offering her free of charge. And we see this in so many encounters of Jesus' life. He comes in John chapter 8, a few chapters later, to the woman caught in adultery. He stands her up and he says, nor do I condemn you, full stop. Then he says, go and sin no more. He doesn't say, nor do I condemn you if you go and sin no more. As an adulteress, he says, nor do I condemn you. As a Samaritan woman, he says, if you had asked me for living water, I would give it to you. Now that is the heart of God. And sometimes we can make it so much harder for people because we want them to get a bit cleaned up or, you know, we're okay with some sin. You know, we're okay with, hey, I can't remember the last message I heard on gluttony, pride, um, any of those sorts of things. We're okay with that. You know, we can sort of not talk about those ones. But, you know, there's certain things that we get really offended by and, and there's certain things that we say, well, no, you can't come into church if you like that. You've got to change. You've got to, you know, God doesn't care where you are, where you've been, what you've done, whatever the mess that's got you to the moment you're in now, if you call out to him, he will answer you. If you call out to him, he will give you that water of living, uh, that living water. You know, We see it again when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the guy next to him, all he does is recognises that Jesus is a king and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, there's a little bit of self-preservation for you. I'm going to be dead in a few hours. Hey, can you take me to heaven? That, that's, that's the prayer. 
you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't pass step one of Bible college, would it? Well, that wasn't really the sinner's prayer. There was no repentance. There was none of any of this stuff. And what did Jesus say? Before this day is over, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus for this woman. If you, ha- if you knew who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given you. To me, that is mind-blowing. Bear in mind, this is before the word was put out to the Gentiles. This is before God officially went to the world. He went to the Jews first. Even in that time when he's going to the Jews first, he would still reach out to a Gentile woman. And one of ill repute at that. It's amazing, isn't it? And so then they go through and he talks about, you know, you've... uh, Bring your husband. He, he knew because he told her a moment later. So he was setting her up for that. But all through the conversation, I don't want to focus on that, but all through the conversation, she starts going into religious and, and theological discussion and, and asking all sorts of questions to really almost hedge it away from where he was trying to go. Jesus was trying to go to the heart. And she was focused on, you Jews do this, we Samaritans do this, what's right, what's wrong, you know, going into all sorts of different... Uh, debates and discussions, but Jesus just kept coming back to the heart. And then eventually we see that the disciples get back. Verse 27. By this time she's recognised that he's the Messiah. He's told her, because she says, we know that when Messiah comes. Remember, for the Samaritans, they didn't believe in any prophet from Moses until Messiah would come. They didn't believe in any of the Jewish prophets or the rest of the Old Testament. So she's going from Moses... And then she's recognised, is this the Messiah who's now to come? And so the apostles come back, and one of the biggest understatements, I think, of the, of, of, uh, the Gospels is when it says, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. This rocked their world. This would have rocked their world. Jesus was doing what no self-respecting Jewish man would ever be caught dead doing in his lifetime. And that is not only talking to a woman in public. The rabbinic tradition said you don't even talk to your own wife in public, let alone anyone else's wife, lest anybody think that you're doing anything inappropriate. You know, it was, there was a huge amount of tradition on this topic. And, and you weren't allowed as a man and as a woman to travel together, to interact together in public. Uh, a woman had to have, have a male family member essentially protecting her outside from any other man. Like there was so many ridiculous traditions and customs. But they also would have known that the woman that came to the well at noon, at midday, was an outcast, was a woman likely who her own townsfolk... Because remember, they just came from the town. The woman's from a town it's about a kilometre and a half away. The very town that they'd just been to had judged and, and rejected this woman. And here's Jesus having a good old conversation with her. You know, I think there's a, there's a saying I often hear people go, awkward. That's exactly what this was. They come back and they're looking and everyone probably wouldn't have known where to look. And it says that the woman left her, her uh, bucket there and went back to, straight back to town. So she took off out of there. And, but she went to get people to tell them what she'd seen and who she'd seen. And, and she started preaching. She started saying, this guy, he's the Messiah. He told me everything about my life. Come and see him. The first evangelist, the first preacher in the history of the Christian church, was in this moment, was a Samaritan woman who by rights, by any other objective standard at that time, probably wouldn't have been accepted uh, in, in even Samaritan society, let alone Jewish society. And she's the one that Jesus chose. 
She's the one that Jesus spoke to, that Jesus offered living water to. And so she went and grabbed all the townsfolk and they came. And so up until this point, Jesus has crafted a narrative where he starts with, please get me some water, and then tells her about the living water that he comes to give her. And meanwhile, he sent the disciples off to town to get some food. And they come back and offer him some food. And he says, I've got food that you know nothing about. So he has the same sort of contrast on the issue of food that he just has had on the issue of water. Let's read it. So verse 32. Actually, we'll go to verse 31. Sorry, Jacob. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus was at the well, physically, waiting for some food, needing some nourishment. He was tired. They'd gone for a long walk. He was resting before they continued walking to go to Galilee. So he was there, they were going to get him some nourishment, some food. But meanwhile, an encounter happened that so refreshed him and so nourished him that when they came back, he didn't even want to eat anymore. He actually said to him, my food is to do the will of the Father. And then he goes and talks about this, this entire um, harvest situation. He says, look, the fields are ripe with harvest. The, the woman at that moment was going there, gathering the people from the village and bringing them back. And they were coming and they came to Jesus and they invited him to stay and he stayed for two days. Imagine that, a Jew, not only going through Samaria, not only stopping at the well, not only talking to a woman and asking her for help, but then going and staying in a Samaritan's home for two days. Now, that meant he ate their food, didn't it? Because you don't go into someone's home and then reject their food. That's the height of, of, of offence in a Middle Eastern culture mindset. So he went and he stayed with them and, and he shared with them. And he preached the gospel and it says that many of them were saved. So many Samaritans, even at that point of Jesus' ministry, were saved. So he reached out to them. He shared with them this was why he had to go to Samaria. This was the purpose. This was the point. This encounter with this woman and this encounter with the townsfolk that she had then gone to bring to him changed an entire town and that town was never the same again. All because Jesus took that time. He didn't follow the normal path. Oh, let's, let's not go there because no good self-respecting Jew would go to Samaria. Not only did he choose to go there, he had to go there. He had a burning in his spirit that he had to go there. The wording is deliberate by John. Something in Jesus led him to that place. <clears throat> he postured himself in humility. And he drew that woman into him by asking for help, by then telling her what he's about, what this living water is that he can offer to her. Just as she's offered him water, he can offer her water that she would never thirst again. Speaking of which, I've got a bit dry tonight. <clears throat> It's out of the spring's air. And then his apostles come back with food and then he talks to them about the food, the nourishment from the Father. That is what's just the encounter that's just happened with the Samaritan woman and the harvest that's, about, that's at that moment probably coming down from the town to them that then turns into a two-day revival. Let's put it in our terminology. And this encounter 
really was just Jesus' decision was, I'm going from Judea to Galilee. That was his, that was his journey. He, he wasn't going from Judea to a revival meeting that had been planned in Samaria. He was going from Judea to Galilee. And on the way, this all came, this all happened, because he was following the leading of God, the leading of the Spirit, to take him to that place and to be open and to share with somebody that he had no cultural right to have anything to do with. So often in our own worlds, in our own society, you know, there's comfortable things and there's uncomfortable things. There's comfortable people, there's uncomfortable people. Sometimes it's easy for us as Christians just to go with the flow. You know, we'll, we'll go and do a few things and maybe throw a few bucks in for mission, you know, because that way someone else can go and do it. But I would suggest that just like this woman, she wasn't at the ends of the earth. She was between Judea and Galilee. She was in Israel. Yes, it was separated. Yes, it was segregated. Yes, it was culturally different. Yes, she was different. And yes, they had nothing to do with each other, but she was in his backyard. And how often do we have people in our own backyard? How often do we have people, maybe they're culturally different, Maybe they're, I don't know, from a different sort of subculture or maybe they do things differently or look differently or dress differently or identify differently or, you know, the, the list is endless. Sometimes when we think mission, we think the ends of the earth and there is that. That is absolutely true. But there's also people that are hurting in our own backyard. There are people hurting that I could have an encounter with tomorrow if I'm open to the leading of the Spirit. There are people who God wants to reach in this town. You know, there's not one person in this town or in this region that God doesn't love. There's not one person in this region that God would not fill with the Spirit and fill with the living water that would rise up within them if that person would come to him and knew who, who it was that he was talking to. And, you know, we have that Spirit in us. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. So when I walk through a situation, it might not be a well, although at our place we've got a couple of boars, um, it might be Yeparinia Centre in the food court. It might be all sorts of different places in town. It might be at your workplace. It might be someone who's just had all sorts of stuff going on in their life. And they're just at the end. You know, they're just right on the edge. And could it be that just like the Spirit led Jesus through this encounter, that God would lead us into a similar type of encounter? You know, it's easy to look at the Gospels and say, yeah, but that's Jesus. You know, he's, hey, what can I say? He was God. And, and that's true. But he said, all these things and even greater things will you do because I go back to the Father. And the Spirit will come, and the Spirit will be your guide and your counsellor. And John 14 to 16, um, you know, the last conversations Jesus has with his apostles before his death focuses on, now you go and do likewise. You know, the, the Spirit will come, and when the Spirit comes, you will do all these things as well. Take heart. Do not be afraid. So often. And when I look at an encounter like this, I see a challenge to me. I see a challenge where God's saying, would I do something similar? 
would I look for encounters in my life? Would I look for people, maybe who others reject? Maybe people who I reject? Maybe people, I don't know, they, they smell a bit or I, I don't know, maybe people look different, maybe they dress funny. We have all sorts of opportunities. But it's a lot easier to cross the Jordan River and go around, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to get on with our life. Because after all, you know, I've, I'm, I'm pretty busy. I've got to go and earn money or, you know, get, get stuck into my ministry rather than uh, go and reach out to that person there because that's uncomfortable. But I think this town is filled with Samaritan women, metaphorically. I think this town is filled with people who are looking for that living water, who are looking for something real, who are looking for something that will bring life because you know what? They've tried everything else. Pastor Ben, you spoke this morning about your own past. You tried everything. You, 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 looked, for, you looked for hope or you looked for something in, in all sorts of directions and you finally found it in Jesus. And there are people out there who are in that same situation. They don't even know it. I have people in the industry that I work in, not, not that work for me directly now because they all come to our church, but people in the industry that I've worked in for years and, and you just see them go through the same cycle week after week after week and they work to party and they, and they go and work another week to pay to go and party again and it's like, like that's a life, you know, and, and, and they get to that moment in life like this Samaritan woman, she was just going about her normal everyday business. She didn't come for an encounter with Jesus. She came to get water. And that moment, because he was there and because he was positioned to reach out and, and to open up this dialogue, this discussion, and also that he had that divine revelation to speak into her life, it transformed her in a moment, trans- transformed her town in a moment. And that's the challenge that I have when I read that story because I think there's a lot of Samaritans that God calls me to. And you know, where Jesus talks about my food is to do the will of him who sent me, that's for us too. We so often, you know, we, we strive, we, we do all sorts of things and we wonder why we burn out. I don't know about you, but every time I've been in the will of God, every time I've really been in an encounter of, of whatever type, whatever it looks like, that I really know that that's the Spirit of God that's led me there and, wow, look at God work. That's life-giving. That just energises me. That's, it is like nourishment to the soul. You know, when you're in the will of God, when you're involved in some way, God, God could ch- change the world himself. He doesn't need us. He could do everything he wants just like that. He created it all just like that. But he chooses to engage us in his process of salvation. He chooses to, in many cases, do nothing until we partner with him. And we have that incredible privilege and that incredible responsibility of reaching out to those Samaritan women, to whatever, you know, put, put your own um, spin onto that. Who's that person or people in your life that Jesus is calling you to reach out to? And maybe you are just like that Samaritan woman in some ways. Maybe even if you've come to church for a long time, you're going through this treadmill of life and really not getting any traction and really not feeling as though your life is fulfilled and not feeling as though there's, there's life there. You've got to keep coming back and doing more and more and striving. 
And you know, Jesus would say to you, if you knew who it was who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water that you would never thirst. Because the truth is, that offer doesn't stop when we walk in the doors of the church. That grace is for you and me too. And it's only through that grace that we are empowered to then be able to go out and reach those around us. That's the gospel. You know, it's very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Simple. Receive, give out. Don't dam it up, you know. The spirit comes in, the spirit flows out. Blessings flow in, blessings flow out. All sorts of things. It flows in, it flows out. We love because he first loved us. We reach out because he reached out to us. You know, the other incredible thing about this narrative is that Jesus talks about worshippers that God seeks. Do you know that God seeks? He searches, he looks, he, he wants people who have that same heart because he wants to partner with us and change this world. And that's the heart of Jesus. So never again can I judge someone. Someone could walk in here, they could be a Satanist, they could be in a same-sex relationship, they could be in all sorts of things that many Christians would find offensive. God loves them as much as he loves me. God accepts them as much as he accepts me and God will give them as much as he will give me because God has no favourites and, and there's no one who is in any way worthy. I'm not worthy, I never will be. But if I reach out to him, He'll lift me up. He'll give me rivers of living water. And then he calls me to share those with those around me. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Lord God, your heart is so filled with compassion and love for every person, every man, woman and child on this planet. No matter who they are, what they've done, how they worship, who they love, what they identify with, anything, Father God, you love every single one of us. And Lord, you died for every single one of us so we can have life. Lord, I pray this evening that we would have a, a new revelation in our spirit of, of the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of your love. Lord, that nothing could separate us from your love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor any other power in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be drawn once again to that source of living water. Lord, maybe our wells have dried up a bit. Maybe we've gotten a bit dry, a little bit stale. We're doing, going through the motions, Lord, but we haven't really connected with you for a while. Lord, I pray that you would pour out fresh water into our souls, fresh living water. Lord, that you'll just wash away all of the stuff, all the, the things that so easily entangle us, Lord, the sin that entangles us, the things that trip us up. Lord, just wash that away, Father. And Lord, as you fill us afresh with that living water that, that, that flows from our spirits, Lord, I pray that you would lead us out into this area, into our families, our workplaces, our friends, just those that we encounter on a daily basis, going about their everyday business like this woman from Samaria. From Samaria. Lord, that you would lead us into divine appointments and divine encounters that would change lives. Not through judgment, not through standing on a street corner telling them they're going to hell. Lord, but through reaching out and offering them the same life-giving water that you've offered us. I just want to 
pray for a particular group of people tonight. If you've never received that from Jesus, if you've never entered or you've never had a moment in your life where you've known that Jesus is calling you to follow him, that you know that Jesus is reaching out to you and saying, come, follow me, step into life. I just want to give you a moment to raise your hand now and I want to pray for you because Jesus is calling you. He wants you, he doesn't want to convert you into something. He just wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks, brother. You know, he doesn't care who you are, what you've done, even what you believe necessarily. That all comes down the track. He just wants you. You just reach out to him. He'll reach out to you. And he does the rest. Because in a relationship with him, he'll, he'll gently lead you and guide you. And it's open to all of us. I'm going to ask us all to stand up for a moment. I'm going to ask all of us to pray this prayer after me. So those that have raised their hands tonight don't feel like they're praying that on their own. Let's just place our hand on our heart. And I'm just going to, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat line by line after me. Lord God, I thank you that you are a God of grace and that you have given me a free gift of life-giving water for my spirit. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your gift of salvation is free for any person. And I ask you this night to bring me into your kingdom. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would include me in your plan. That you would give me purpose and that you would teach me how to live the life that you created me to live. I'm just going to pray for you now, folks. Lord, I just I really sense that there's a moment in the Spirit now that even those of us who have prayed that prayer before, Jesus wants to give us a new, a new encounter with Him, a new encounter with His Spirit, and and with just with that the the fresh flow of Spirit into into our lives, into our hearts.